The Gospel of John might be the most important book ever written, and the first passage of this book, called the Prologue, introduces and summarizes the rest of this book. So today, I want to take some time to look at John's Prologue, what it says, what it means, and how we can apply this and the rest of the book of John to our life. But before we dive into that, we need to understand some context. So there are four Gospels, four accounts of the life of Jesus. They're all true, and they all work together in harmony, but they each have a bit different of a focus. Now, the first three are very similar, and they're called the Synoptic Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mark is a collection of Peter's sermons about the life of Jesus. Matthew was written specifically aimed for the Jewish audience, and Luke was written specifically for the Greek and Gentile audience. So those three are very similar. They mostly have the same stories and even have just a similar feel and sound, even though they have a bit difference of an audience. Now, the book of John is quite different from those three. So let's see how it's different. First, it was written by the beloved disciple. It was written by John, one of Jesus' closest friends and followers during his life on earth. So we know that Jesus had many followers, but he had 12 close disciples. But then even within that group of 12, there were three called the inner circle, which included John, Peter, and James, where they were able to go with Jesus even deeper. They heard his more close teachings. They saw specific miracles. So Jesus spent even more time with those three, including John, the author of this book. This was the last written of the Gospels. The other three were written about the same time, and they were already well-established, well-understood, so everyone who was a follower of Christ was familiar with the other three accounts. But then uh, John lived to be older than the other people, and he was able to see that there were some gaps, and so he wrote this book to fill in some of those gaps and to include certain stories from the life's the life and teaching of Jesus that were not already included in those other three books. We need to know that this gospel is not chronological. It takes different stories from different points in Jesus' life and mixes them and puts them in, a, in an order that's not chronological. But there is a structure to this book. Uh, it's based around seven miracles and the seven I am statements of Jesus, plus one more important statement where he said, before Moses was, I am. Now, of course, Jesus did countless miracles to confirm that he was Jesus, that he was God, and that he was here to give us new teachings. Now, he also, uh, when we look back to the Old Testament, even Exodus chapter 3, when Moses asked God, what is his name? He said, it's I am. The four Hebrew letters that we look in English as Y-H-W-H. Now, we translate this to I am, but it means much more than that. It means I am eternal. It means I was what I was, I am what I am, and I will be what I will be. This Yahweh is the name of God. So we see in this book that Jesus more than seven times uses these I am statements to show that he is God. When he says, I am the bread of life, I am the good shepherd, and some of those other things, he is showing his divinity. And John uses these as the base for the rest of his book, 
to show spiritual truths that can be learned from those passages. Now, we don't have to guess about the purpose of this gospel. John tells us in the end, in chapter 20, why he wrote this book. He said that these stories are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So we can see even more simply that the theme of the entire book of John is Jesus' divinity and salvation through him. Now there's one other thing that's very important for the prologue of John. We need to know one specific word, and that's the Greek word logos, which literally is translated word. So, it, But it means word, but it also has a much more significant meaning than this. It means something to the Greeks, and it meant something to the Jewish Hebrews who were living at the time. For the Greeks, it didn't just mean word. It also included the meaning of thought, speech, reason, and even purpose. So we need, even looking further, the logos is the gift from the gods, which separates us from the animals. So to have the ability to think and the ability to speak, to have this logos is what separates humans from animals. And this was viewed by the Greeks as a gift given by the gods. So that's what the Greeks viewed this word. And even the Jews had a specific understanding of the divinity of this word. They viewed that the word of God was even God himself. They, they viewed God and his word as almost interchangeable. And that's because God is not seen, but he speaks through the prophets and he speaks into the lives of his followers. So even though God isn't seen, he is, he's understood through words. And that is what they even called logos, even when they were speaking Greek. So this goes back again to that Yahweh, when God said that his name is I am. And even in their culture, that God's name, what we just said, Yahweh, that can't be spoken. So they would often say Elohim or, or Adonai or Jehovah, but they wouldn't pronounce these four letters, Yahweh. So in some of their Greek translations, they even just use the word logos, which means word. So even though it's not obvious to us today and it doesn't speak directly to our culture, the original audience at the time of John's writing of this book knew immediately that the word logos refers to divinity. So with that in mind, let's look at this passage. John wrote, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life that was the light of men, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So we're going to look through this pass uh, line by line and really dive deep on what we can pull out from some of these things. Now, first, even from the first two verses, is that Jesus 
is God. That he is predicted in the Old Testament as the divine Messiah that would come. Even when Jesus was on earth, he said things that only God can say. He did things that only God can do. And he accepted worship, which was meant only for God. And we see passages like this, which clearly show that the, his followers worshipped him and viewed him as God. Now, I have a full video about the deity of Christ, so I'm not going to go deep on that today, but I encourage you to go back and watch that video if you want to know more. And speaking of that, we also see the introduction to the Trinity in this first passage, that Jesus was there in the beginning, that he was God, but he also was with God. So this is something, when it comes to the Trinity, that we will never be able to fully comprehend, but we need to believe and, tr and, and just put into our hearts the things that God has revealed to, to us about himself. Now, when we read this passage, it's clear that Jesus is fully God, but not everything that is God is Jesus. Let me write a picture to, to make it a bit more clear, hopefully. So first, I want you to imagine that this blue, this light blue circle represents God. Every aspect, every facet, everything that is God is included in this blue circle. Now from this passage, we can see that Jesus is God, but he is not everything that is God. There's other aspects of God that are not Jesus. So there's Jesus and there's another section which is also God. Now, as we read further into John, as we look, look further into scriptures, we know that it breaks down to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That those are the three persons that represent that, that are our triune God. So just to look at those together, we see that there's one circle that's God. Jesus is God, but then also God includes the Father and the Holy Spirit. Now, we read much more about the Holy Spirit and his role later in the Gospel of John. Even Jesus himself promises that the Holy Spirit, the Helper, will come and, and be there for everyone. Now, again, I have a full video devoted to the Trinity, so I'm not going to go any deeper today, but I'll, again, I encourage you to go watch that video also. So as we keep going into this passage, verse 3, we see that God is an uncreated being. We see right here where it says, without him, without Jesus, nothing was made which has been made. So right here, it distinguishes two things. The things that have been made, which is everything that we can see, hear, feel, everything in this life, everything we know with a tangible, with our senses, is made, it's created by God and specifically created by Jesus. But there are at least, there is at least one thing which was not made, and that's God. He was there before this universe was created, so we know that God is an uncreated being. So even when some people, whether atheists or other people who are giving us a hard time, they sometimes ask the question, well, if God created the universe, then who created God? Well, this is our answer, that God is an uncreated being. And again, we see right here that John makes it clear that he calls Jesus the creator. So as we go forward and look at the next section, we see that there's a, 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 a connection as we look at the, the distinctives of light 
and darkness. It's one of the most fascinating things that we see throughout scripture. Let's read that passage again. In him, Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone. Now again, we see this as a consistent theme from Genesis to Revelation. In, the, in Genesis, when God created the heavens and the earth, what did he say? He said, let there be light. And then even in Revelation, when we read about the new Jerusalem and where we will spend eternity, it says that there's no need for the sun, the moon, and stars because God's presence will be with us and he will be our light. There will be no more tears and no darkness. So again, we see the difference between light and darkness going throughout scripture. It's one of the most fascinating, interesting analogies of, of following God and this life. Because we see that darkness isn't actually a thing. Darkness is just the absence of light. If there's no light, then you have darkness. So if we have a room that's completely dark and someone shines a light, then instantly the entire room will be illuminated. And so this is something used throughout scripture. That where even we see where it says that the, dar the darkness cannot overcome the light because the darkness is not a tangible thing. It's just the absence of light. In a similar way that, that the goodness of Christ cannot be overcome by evil because evil is the absence of good. So we see this, this wonderful description that Jesus is the light of the world, that he came and shined light for everyone. So as we continue the, the, the next passage from there, we see that, uh, that his people rejected him. Let's look at what that says. In verse 11, it says that he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Jesus was a Jewish Middle Eastern man and he came to the world through that ethnic heritage. But those people, they rejected him and even crucified him. Uh, even though many from the Jews did follow Jesus, they ultimately rejected him and killed him and even gave him the death penalty for blasphemy because he was calling himself God. The people at the time understood those I am statements and that Jesus was equating himself with God. So they ultimately uh, crucified him, gave him the death penalty on the cross because he was calling himself God. So as we keep going through the same passage, we see that salvation is for all, that every person on earth has God's salvation available to them. Verse 12 says, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, to have the inheritance of the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, to be forgiven and to be able to, to be with God for eternity. That's something that we have in our possession and it's available for anyone who believes. Now we see right here that the light shines for all, but some choose to walk in darkness. Some close their eyes, they close the, 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 the eyes and the mind of their heart, and they follow their own way and reject the light that came from that came through Jesus Christ. Now, what we need to see is that we also need to know that salvation is from Jesus and through Jesus. Even his name means salvation. Now, of course, we pronounce it Jesus in English, but in the Hebrew, it was probably more like Yeshua which literally meant salvation in that language. So Jesus, his own name 
means salvation. So as we keep going and, and look even further, we must be born again. Verse 13 says, for again, from the beginning, uh, those who received him, those who believed in him, God gave the right to become children of God. Those who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. Everyone is born once through flesh with a mother and father, but then to become children of God, we must be born of God. We call this being born again. Now, just the, the basic gospel is that we know that God is perfect, but that, and that he created man and that we are not perfect. We have gone against God, against his commands many times. This is called sin. Anytime you break one of God's commands, anytime you tell a lie, steal something, even have bad thoughts, those, that's called sin. And that makes us imperfect. And so because of the dirtiness, the guilt, and the shame of our imperfections, we cannot be in that perfect place of heaven with God. The Bible says sin separates us from God and makes us deserve to be separate from him for all of eternity in a terrible, terrible place called hell. This is the bad news. But the good news is that Jesus came and lived a perfect sinless life and died the perfect sacrificial death on the cross to pay the price for our sins so that what we need to do to be forgiven is to turn away from sin and trust and follow Jesus. That's when we receive the gift of salvation. That's when we receive the Holy Spirit. When our sins are forgiven, and we will be able to spend the rest of eternity with God and with the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, guiding us how to live. That is the gospel, and that's what it means to be born again. When we die to our sin, die to ourself, and then are reborn through the Spirit as a follower of God. So this is something that's, that's a bit controversial, but I believe the Bible is clear that not all are children of God. It's only those who are born of God, who are born again through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit. So as we look into the final section of this passage, we need to see that it was shocking to Jews and Greeks that divinity, logos, the word, that divinity could become flesh and dwell among us. This is also what we call incarnation, where God became flesh. Carne means flesh, where he took on the human body. Advent means that someone royal or noble or something miraculous has come and has, has come to this earth. And Christmas is, of course, what we most often call it this, these days when we celebrate the birth of Christ. So in some ways, this passage of John is his way of, of describing Christmas. So, of course, Luke and, and Matthew look from the more human perspective of Jesus' birth through man. But John views Christmas as in the beginning was Jesus and then he became flesh. But so he always existed, but he became flesh in this passage. So, again, it's the, John's interpretation of scripture. So we need to just know that God didn't have to do this. We are completely unworthy. God was under no obligation to come and live and die for our sins, but he did because he loves us and he wanted us to be able to be saved because we can never be saved through our own good works. It's only by grace through faith in what Jesus did for us on the cross that we can ever be saved. So whether you're thinking about Christmas 
or anything else. We need to take some time to just just appreciate and love God for coming to earth and for living and dying for our sins and to make salvation and forgiveness even possible to us. So I want to go ahead and close with three takeaways that we can learn from this passage. First, is that the all-powerful creator of heaven and earth loves you, became human, paid for your sins, and wants to guide you through life. So we need to love and trust him for what he has done and who he is. The second thing is that Jesus is God along with the Holy Spirit and the Father, and that the Trinity is one divine being. And also, we must be born again to be children of God. Now, I want to close by sharing again uh, what John said in chapter 20, but I want to tweak the words to make it a promise, where John said, believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and you will have life in his name. If you trust and follow Jesus, your sins will be forgiven, and you will be able to spend eternity with God. I thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please write. Let me know what you think. And if you'd like to hear more about how to put your faith into practice, I hope you'll look at our other videos and like, subscribe, and follow this page because we have so much more to share. God bless.